0: My guess is that the lyrics of that song connect somewhere to your life. Imagine all of the dreams you're too scared to chase. You spend every last tomorrow looking back on yesterday. I've been where you are so many times before. These are moments when you find what you've been living for. We're kind of searching for what we're living for. This is where you fall. This is where you get up. This is where it all begins. This is where it hurts. This is when you learn that this is where it all begins. And so we're in a series called Brave. Faith is the journey. And sometimes life hurts and sometimes it hurts and it's hard because God needs it to be that way, to help us to grow and to stretch and to become. Sometimes it hurts and it's hard because we're missing the points and we're going in the wrong direction. So let me tell you a story about that today. Let me take you back. To the sixth century BC. I want you to meet a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Here's an artist's rendition of what he could have looked like. And uh, he was a powerful king. Uh, I looked at him and I thought, you know, hairstyles come and go. Um, You know, that one might be coming back. And then I, I said, I've seen him before. I've seen him before. This is David Stoss. He's our technical director here at Spring Branch. And look at these pictures. Let's go back. Nebuchadnezzar, David Stoss. You see, I was like looking at Nebuchadnezzar thinking, I see him every day somewhere. Um, His name meant Nebo protect the crown. He succeeded his father as king. He was famous for the destruction of Jerusalem, 586 B.C., Modern research has shown that Nebuchadnezzar was one of the greatest monarchs of the East. 90 to 95% of the ruins of Babylon are composed of bricks stamped with his name. As they do these excavations, as as they go through these archaeological digs, 90 to 95% of the bricks they pull out. At these locations have his name stamped on them. He built many temples and shrines named to the gods, his gods. He built canals and dams and streets. He died in 562 BC. He was 84 years of age. He had ruled and reigned for 43 years as king. His acts and his personality are legendary. He was entitled... And he was powerful, an intimidating combination. But there were times when he had dreams. And this story from Daniel 4 tells about one of those dreams and how it shook him to the core of his entitled, powerful being. Daniel chapter 4, reading from the message. King Nebuchadnezzar to everyone, everywhere, every race, color, and creed, peace and prosperity to all. It is my privilege to report to you the gracious miracles that the high God has done for me. His miracles are staggering. His wonders are surprising. His kingdom lasts and lasts. His sovereign rule goes on forever. But Nebuchadnezzar really didn't know this God that he's trying to talk about personally. He had a plethora of gods that he bowed down to, that he gave his allegiance to, that he prayed to. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home, taking it easy in my palace without a care in the world. But as I was stretched out on my bed, I had a dream that scared me, a nightmare that shook me. I sent for all the wise men of Babylon so that they could interpret the dream for me. When they were all assembled, magicians, enchanters, fortune tellers, witches... I told them the dream. None could tell me what it meant. And then Daniel came in. His Babylonian name is Belshazzar. So here he was such an entitled king that he would take a servant of the most high God like Daniel. A man whose heart was totally turned to God all the time. And he would, he would give him a name that would put him inside of his own kingdom. His name, his Babylonian name is Belshazzar, named after my God, a man full of the divine Holy Spirit, I told him my dream. So there was this, this dichotomy with Nebuchadnezzar. You know, I kind of know this guy has the Holy Spirit. I kind of know he's got some special thing going on here, uh, but I'm going to just cover all my bases. I'm going to name him for, for my God, Daniel, Belshazzar. Belshazzar, I said, chief of the magicians, I know that you are a man full of the divine Holy Spirit, that there's no mystery that you can't solve. Listen to this dream that I had and interpret it for me. Here's the dream. This is what I saw as I was stretched out on my bed. I saw a big towering tree at the center of the world. As I watched, the tree grew huge and strong. Its top reached the sky and it could be seen from the four corners of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, enough food for everyone. Wild animals found shelter under it. Birds nested in its branches. Every, everything living was fed and sheltered by it. And this is also what I saw as I was stretched out on my bed. I saw a holy watchman descend from heaven and call out, "'Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, "'strip its leaves and scatter its fruit, "'chase the animals from beneath it, "'and shoo the birds from its branches.'" but leave the stump and roots in the ground belted with a strap of iron and bronze in the grassy meadow. Let him be soaked in heaven's dew and take his meals with the animals that graze. Let him lose his mind and get an animal's mind in exchange. Let this go on for seven seasons. The angels announce this decree. The holy watchmen bring this sentence so that everyone living will know that the high God rules human kingdoms. He arranges kingdom affairs however he wishes, and makes leaders out of losers. This is what I, King Nebuchadnezzar, dreamed. It's your turn, Belshazzar. Interpret it for me. None of the wise men of Babylon could make heads or tails of it, but I'm sure you can do it. You're full of the divine Holy Spirit. And and Daniel's mind is just swirling because he knows what the dream means, and he's afraid to, to tell the king what it means. And you'll find out why. here it is. At first, Daniel, who had been renamed Belshazzar in Babylon, was upset. The thoughts that came swarming into his mind terrified him. Belshazzar, the king said, stay calm. Don't let this dream and its interpretation scare you. He probably saw, written all over Daniel's face, the anxiety and the, the not wanting to even speak. My master, said Belshazzar, I wish this dream were about your enemies and its interpretation for your foes. The tree you saw that grew so large and sturdy with its top touching the sky, visible from the four corners of the world. The tree with the luxuriant foliage and abundant fruit, enough for everyone. The tree under which animals took cover and in which birds built nests. You, O king, are that tree. You, O king, are that tree. You can see why Daniel was afraid to even speak in front of the king. You have grown great and strong. Your royal majesty reaches sky high and your sovereign rule stretches to the four corners of the world. But the part about the holy angel descending from heaven and proclaiming, chop down the tree, destroy it, but leave stump and roots in the ground, belted with a strap of iron and bronze in the grassy meadow. Let him be soaked with heaven's dew and take his meals with the grazing animals for seven seasons. This, O king refers to you. It also refers to you. It means that the high God has sentenced my master, the king. You will be driven away from human company and live with the wild animals. You will graze on grass like an ox. You'll be soaked in heaven's dew. This will go on for seven seasons and you will learn, you will learn that the high God rules over human kingdoms, that he arranges all kingdom affairs. The part about the tree stump and roots being left means that your kingdom will still be there for you after you learn that it is heaven that runs things. So king, now he sort of pleads with Nebuchadnezzar. So king, take my advice. Make a clean break with your sins and start living for others. Quit your wicked life and look after the needs of the down and out. Then you will continue to have a good life. He's telling him to be humble. He's telling him to, to not let life be all about him and his accomplishments, he's pleading with him, maybe you still have a chance. Maybe you still have a chance. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Just 12 months later, he was walking on the balcony of the royal palace in Babylon and boasted, look at this, Babylon the great. And I built it all by myself, a royal palace, adequate to display my honor And glory. These words were no sooner out of his mouth than a voice out of heaven spoke. This is the verdict on you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your kingdom is taken from you. You'll be driven out of human company and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. The sentence is for seven seasons, enough time to learn that the high God rules human kingdoms and puts whomever he wishes in charge. It all happened at once. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out of human company, ate grass like an ox. And was soaked in heaven's dew. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle. And his nails like the claws of a hawk. That's because for seven years he was in a state of mental illness. And these these kinds of illnesses have been documented. And, and everybody was, was afraid of him. And nobody tried to, to take care of him. And so he was just out there. And he ate grass. And he was out there. And his nails grew long and sharp. And his hair just grew and grew and grew. At the end of the seven years, seven years later, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to heaven. I was given my mind back and I blessed the high God, thanking and glorifying God who lives forever. There's no record that Nebuchadnezzar ever ultimately and finally worshiped the God of Israel. There's no record that he really understood what this meant. But this record in the Bible is clear. He got pulled up short for his entitlement behavior. He got pulled up short for not being humble before an Almighty God. He got he got put in his place because he thought he was above everyone. And he thought he just had it all over everybody. Entitlement is the belief i am exempt from responsibility and i am owed special treatment so says john townsend in his book the entitlement cure finding success and doing hard things the right way and this is one of the the best books i've read in the last few months uh, I think there's still some copies available outside. If you, if you need us to get you a copy, we can get you a copy. Uh, but I would, I would put this on my list of books to read in 2016. It's that good. It's extensive. It's expansive. It's in-depth. It covers a lot of ground. Townsend says, Entitlement is the man who thinks he is above the rules. The woman who feels mistreated and needs others to make it up to her. The characteristics of entitlement are an attitude of being special. He, she, they're lucky to have me. They're lucky I'm in charge. They're lucky they know me. They're lucky I I spend time with them. An attitude of being owed, of deserving something. A refusal to accept responsibility and a denial of one's impact on others. There's an emotional checklist for you if you are connected in some way to an entitled person. First, there's an alienation, a feeling of alienation. You just can't seem to, to connect with them really emotionally, intellectually, maybe even spiritually. There's not a connection. There's a, a person, there's a, a relationship, there's a, a role, but there's no connection. There's alienation. You feel it. Then there's anger. There's anger because of the frustrations that entitlement brings to you. You get so angry about it, and, and but you don't know what to do with your anger. Your anger is always telling you to do something, but you don't know what to do. And then finally, there is helplessness. Can this ever change? Will this person ever change? Will my life with this person or this leader or this company or this organization ever change? Let me tell you how entitlement grows. It grows when, when praise happens for things that There's just no reason for praise to even be in the picture. When you praise what takes no effort, you are sowing the seeds of entitlement. When you praise, however, what takes extra effort and exceeds expectations, you are not sowing the seeds for entitlement. When you praise what is not specific or what is not based in reality, you sow the seeds for entitlement. When there's specific praise going into the right bucket in somebody's life, then you're not sowing the seeds of entitlement. This is one of the best statements in the book. The brain has no appropriate bucket for nonspecific excessive statements and therefore is unable to make constructive use of them. The brain has no appropriate bucket for nonspecific excessive statements and therefore is unable to make constructive use of them. So in other words, if I keep telling you, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. And there's no real specificity to that. After a while, what, what happens? It just kind of goes nowhere. It's just an empty phrase. There's nowhere to really put it. So what kind, of, what kind of praise goes into the right bucket? The real buckets are hard work, being kind, being honest, being vulnerable. Hard work, being kind, being honest, being vulnerable. When, when in our group last week, when you talked about that hard time that you had in a job, that you had, you know, were used to live, and you opened up about your feelings. That took a lot of courage, and it really helped me. Thank you for for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Um, when you when you met that person, that person was so mean to you, and yet you maintained a sense of kindness. You had you, you had patience. Uh, you you were able to let it go and, and kind of move it to something that was more positive. I I really respected that in you. And when I saw that in you, I saw how I needed to change myself in situations that are similar. Those are the kinds of interactions that don't bring entitlement. But just wanting to be praised for, for something that's not so, not even really there, doesn't work and it doesn't help in our relational lives as we try to bring faith and life together. The right to do Whatever you want ends at the point where it impacts others. The truth is, the more you experience and follow God's principles, which lie at the core of reality, God's principles, biblical principles, are the very core of reality. They are the parameters that tell us where we are and we're in the right place or not. The more you experience and follow God's principles, the better life becomes for you and those in your life. So let me teach you this morning the hard way principles that will make all the difference and keep you either out of being in entitlements, out of entitlements for yourself or help you with entitlements that other people bring into your life. Principle number one. Humility and dependence. Simply put, we are completely dependent on God all the time. It doesn't matter how old you are, how much experience you have, how much education you have. It's all about humility and dependence and and john townsend discusses that with a personal example from his life that i was very appreciative of in terms of his vulnerability he says entitlement tells you to be your own boss and determine your own destiny entitlement teaches you to say you're not the boss of me it implies that you can be and do anything you want demand of the others around you anything you want and that it's lame to depend on anyone after all it's your life So you need to follow whatever path you choose. But entitlement ultimately leaves you alone, empty, functionless. How did Nebuchadnezzar end up? He was alone, he was empty, he was functionless. And then he tells a story. I was once in the middle of creating a business success program. I was spending a lot of time on it, figuring out how it could help companies better connect with their employees, thereby achieving higher performance. But I had a lot of other irons in the fire as well. I tend to overcommit to things. And when I do, I have to sort out my own priorities. In that sense, I'm a happy workaholic. I work a lot, not because of pain or angst, but because I love what I do. But often, I go too far. And that was the case with that success program. So as I was trying to figure out my priorities, I talked to one of my truly spiritual friends. Have you prayed about it? He asked. Immediately, I felt like a third grader who had forgotten to bring his homework to class. I really hadn't prayed about it. I had just worked on it. I had totally neglected something so fundamental and so basic. The next week, I prayed about the project, gave it to God, told him I'd go whatever direction he pointed, including dropping the whole thing. I said I would follow him. Then another week, my schedule opened up. People came to me wanting the program, and I had the opportunity to create something that really helped companies. Humility and dependence on God. It, it supersedes everything in our lives, and and so often there are times when we just have to say, God, I, I can't do this. I, I'm pushing so hard. I'm exerting all the effort that I can exert, and nothing's happening. It's not going nowhere. People aren't connecting. Nothing seems to make sense. I'm just going to give this to you. And if you want to close the door, you close the door. And if you want to open up another door, you open it up. I am in your hands. That's a prayer. Whether you're a, a young person, you're in the midlife stage of life, and your career, and trying to negotiate some changes, or you're you're trying to kind of get to that place of integrity and having a legacy, that kind of prayer has to be in our hearts, on our souls, in our minds all the time. God, it's yours. God, it's yours. God, it's all it's all yours all the time, and so that brings us to the first of the hard principle questions, and there will be there will be five of them. Where do you need a humble prayer this week? Where are you trying to bring it together? Are you trying to pull together? Are you trying to make it happen? Are you trying to, to be the, the boss of everybody and everything? Are you trying to exert power? And where do you have to go, God, if it's your will, let this happen. If it's what you want, for me, uh, now and in the future, then then allow this to happen. You know, I remember the time in my life when I had applied to a seminary program. It was at Princeton Uni- University in their in their school of theology, their seminary. And I thought, you get to design your own program. You get to to sort of pick and choose and craft it, and and I like to to do things like that. And uh, and I said, that's it. I'm going there. So I applied, and I even. I knew somebody there who was a professor because I had worked on a team with his son in ministry a long time ago in New Jersey. So I thought, I'm, I'm in. And I got the letter. You're not in. <laughs> I was like shocked. You're not taking me. Are you, are you kidding me? This has to be some kind of a mistake. I felt entitled. And I, I didn't know what to do. I just gave it. I gave it into God's hands after I... I thought about it for a while I said well God it's really in your hands now and then I saw this other program it just kind of jumped out at me through a, a journal called the leadership journal and um, it was a whole one page ad about a, a, a doctoral program in marriage and family ministry that would really bring things together and I thought well I'll just I'll try this and I, I sent it in without any entitlement issues and they said come and talk to us, and then they said, "You know, bring your wife with you." And then they met her, and they looked at me and they said, "Yeah, he really needs this, doesn't he?" Uh, and uh, and they said, "You're you're in, you're in." And I, I I understood at that point that that God had closed that door where I was feeling entitled, and He had opened a door where I needed to feel and learn great dependence and humility. Where I had to take a very deep look at myself, and my life, and my faith, and understand things that I had not, you know, either wanted to understand before, or that I had run away from before. Principle number one, the hard way is deep humility and dependence on God. Where do you need a humble prayer this week? Principle number two, connectedness. We're designed to live in connectedness with each other. And J.D.'s going to talk to you a lot more about this on the 31st. Uh, and there's a whole new program called Life Groups that's coming up, and it's going to be great, and it's going to really help us grow together as a, as a church family. Uh, let me tell you what connectedness looks like. We are designed to live in connectedness with each other. Children whose parents tune in to their emotional state have better success later in life. Really listening to their heartbeat. Really listening to who they are and and what they really want to do and, and not just trying to compete with everybody else for what seems to be the right thing to do for your children. Marriages in which emotional intimacy thrives can better weather life's trials, and life's trials are always coming. People with a support system of friends with whom they feel safe being vulnerable have fewer health problems. Churches that feature not only good pulpit teaching, but also small groups create healthier disciples, healthier people. Companies that pay, atten- that pay attention to relationships as well as to the bottom line enjoy improved performance. If connectedness is the fuel of life, then entitlement results in an empty tank. Entitlement always results in an empty tank. Nebuchadnezzar ended up with a very empty tank. So here's the question. Where do you need to get connected? It's a simple question, but if you look at your life, you can see where there are really good connections or where there really are not connections. There are kind of superficial connections or maybe sort of connect connections, but but there's nothing really happening that takes you to a deeper place in your relationship with God and others. And so um, you've got to answer the question of connection. And, again, we're starting these life groups. It's going to answer the question of connection, encourage you to really think and and pray about the opportunity that you'll have to to get into a life group and really get connected. Principle number three, ownership. We have to take responsibility for our own choices. Townsend writes, people with an attitude of entitlement often project the responsibility of their choices on the outside, not the inside. The fault lies with other people, circumstances, or events. Blame is a first cousin to entitlement. Blame is a first cousin to entitlement. And that's the clue to follow. Wherever it is that you are blaming someone, it's probably an entitlement issue for you. And one of the things I learned from from Townsend in this book is we're not just looking at at our lives and going, oh, we're all so entitled, and entitlement is like this big wet blanket that holds us down and pulls us back, because most of us aren't like that. Most of us are trying hard to follow Christ. Most of us are trying to to serve other people, and we're we're trying to live lives of integrity. But this is what he says in the book. This is one of my big takeaways. Each and every one of us probably has a, a little pocket entitlement somewhere. A little pocket entitlement where we think, you owe me, or... You don't understand. Or um, I didn't get what I'm supposed to have because of you. And it's that little pocket entitlement. Remember Jesus said, take the log out of your eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's eye? This is an important work for us to do. And when you follow the theme of blame, you're going you're gonna to end up at your pocket entitlement issue. So here are the questions. Who are you blaming for where you are today. What do you need to own about where you are today? Who are you blaming for something in your life right now? And what do you, what do you need to own about that part of your life right now? And this is why it's the hard way because it's so much easier to go, well, it's their fault and I shouldn't listen to, to him, I shouldn't listen to her. Well, you're always doing this and that makes me like, who are you blaming what do you need to own? You answer those questions, you start to live God's way. It's a hard way to live because it's a lot of looking at yourself and doing something about it, but it's the best way to live. Principle number four, accepting the negative. Your flaws can't be forgiven and healed until you admit them. The result of acknowledging and accepting the negative is that the negative can then be Transform, Townsend says. When you are okay knowing your failings, you can face them, bring them to God and to the people with whom you feel safe being vulnerable, and heal whatever is driving those feelings. This is the key to great growth. It's a paradox, and here it is. Run from the negative and suffer, accept the negative and find the power to change. Run from what is negative in your life, or what's a great weakness in your life, or what's a great failure in your life. And you'll just continue to suffer from that. Accept it, open up to it, understand why it's there in your life. And the power to change begins to come. Remember Paul struggling with the thorn in his flesh, and nobody really knows. Scholars and theologians have looked at that for years and years and years. Nobody knows exactly what it was, but but it was something in his life that was defeating him. And, and he asked God, take it away. God, take it away, God, take it away, God, take it away. God, take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's one of these paradoxical equations in the Christian life that that where we are weak, we have the opportunity to be strong, not because of who we are or some miraculous strength that comes from within us, but from the power and the strength that comes from God. And as we do that with each other in community, that power is something that brings forth change. And I talked to you a little bit about change last week. And I talked to you about the most important question within that paradigm of, of change, the four laws of change. And I talked to you about being vulnerable. And, and all these notes, these are all available online. And they all kind of fit together in the series. So I encourage you to, to listen again to the message online. Look at the notes and try to figure out, God, what are you saying to me about my life and the hard way in my life and faith and life coming together in my life. Run from the negative and suffer. Accept the negative and find the power to change. Here's the question. What life failure or character flaw do you need to face and bring to God or to someone? What life failure or character flaw do you need to face and bring to God or someone? Years ago I took this test. I still give the test today especially to couples. It's called the Taylor Johnson Temperament Analysis. And, and you answer 180 questions, and it falls into nine different categories. It's, it's really a great test. And so I'm taking it for the first time. And the first question is, I am by nature a forgiving person. And you have to answer yes, no, or I don't know. And you're not supposed to answer too many I don't knows. Because then if you answer you know, 180 I don't knows, it's like you don't even know who you are. So you, so you have to go, oh, I'm going to think about this. Am I, by nature, a forgiving person? So I put, yes. And then God wouldn't let me go to question number two. He said, go back to question number one, read it again. Okay. Are you, by nature, a forgiving person? Now, I can forgive. But then I realized, I'm not, by nature, it's not my first move, I'm not, by nature, a forgiving person. And, and that's something that I have to work on. That's something that I have to give to God. That's something that I have to let the Holy Spirit work on in my life all the time. Because by nature, I'm not that way. But by the power of, of Christ at work in me, I can be that way. But I have to acknowledge that. I have to admit that. Principle number five, finding our role. Finding our role to live long and contentedly. Find your purpose in life and fulfill it. Life is complete only when you give back who you are to the world. That's a great statement. Life is only complete when you give back who you are to the world. The truth is that from the moment you were conceived, there was something inside of you that was trying to emerge and to come into the world and to, to be that what God has has touched you to be and to become for his for his purposes and that's what you want to live out in the world that's what you want to give to the world entitlement freezes your development entitlement shuts you down it numbs you it renders you ineffective you can't be what you're supposed to be when you're entitled you're just a mess You'll end up in the wilderness. You'll end up not helping yourself. You'll end up hurting other people if you don't look at your entitlement issues and let them move to the side. And here's what Townsend says is the pathway to finding your role, to being and living out that person that that God ordained for you to be. He says, finding our role always takes risks. Risk is your only hope for better in anything. And so the question is, what risk do you need to take? And he offers a few on page 260. Ask for a raise and risk a no. Work nights and weekends to start your own business and risk hours of sweat and effort if it doesn't work out. Let your spouse know you have a bad habit that is tearing you apart and risk a terrible reaction. Do not do that now. Approach that person you find attractive and risk rejection. Tell your friends you can't hang out so much because you want to go to night school and risk them thinking you aren't really part of them. Have that confrontation with your young adult child about his or her lack of motivation to move out of your home and assume responsibility for himself. Risk what happens. Have that tough talk with your spouse about how unhappy you are in the marriage and how much you want things to be better. Risk the future. Tell your boss you want to be considered for another position and risk losing the one you have. To find your role, to have a complete life when you give back to the world who you are, you have to take a risk somewhere. What risk do you need to take? Where do you need a humble prayer this week? Where do you need to get connected? Who are you blaming for where you are? What life failure or character flaw do you need to face and bring to God or someone? What is the risk you need to take? Imagine all of the dreams you're too scared to chase. You spend every last tomorrow looking back on yesterday. I've been where you are so many times before. These are the moments when you find what you've been living for. This is where you fall. This is where you get up. This is where it all begins. So when Nebuchadnezzar comes back after his seven years, he says this, I, At the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to heaven. I was giving my mind back, and I blessed the high God, thanking and glorifying God who lives forever. His sovereign rule lasts and lasts. His kingdom never declines and falls. Life on this earth doesn't add up to much, but God's heavenly army keeps everything going. No one can interrupt his work. No one can call his rule into question. And so a very entitled person understood that entitlement really didn't get him anywhere at all. And so God sent a very simple letter. It's almost like a note. In its simplicity, it is beguiling. Dear friends, this is so simple to understand that it slips through your fingers on any given day. Love is the opposite of entitlement. I gave that lesson to Paul a long time ago. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Let your entitlement die. Let it die. Let it go. Pour love into the cracks of each day, each conversation. Risk something new. God. Dear Heavenly Father, allow us to take a step away from even a small pocket of entitlement in our lives. Help us to understand how that never works and never gets us anywhere close to your kingdom. Father, teach us how to pour love into the cracks of each and every day, each relationship, each moment. Father, allow us to to know you deeply, And in that way, be led by your Holy Spirit through each day of our lives. Father, help us to deal with entitlements around us. Help us to help people to step away from those. And Father, help us to to bring the hope and the glory and the honor of your kingdom to light each and every day. For we give every day to you, Father, for your honor and glory. We know you are the God who deserves all of our honor, all of our praise, all of our prayers. We give that to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.